Welcome to Be The Difference. Presented by Back to Back Ministries, continuing to be a voice for orphan and vulnerable children around the world. We share stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Are you sure you're Sammy Matthews? Just for a few more days. Yeah. A few more days, and then I'll have a new name. Yeah, names. Like, we are going to be excited about you changing your name, but we have a name today that is a friend of <laughs> ours. So who are we interviewing today, Sammy? We do. We are interviewing Dr. Rob Hall. So Rob Hall is the president of Trauma Free World. If you haven't heard of Trauma Free World before, it's actually the sister organization of Back to Back. So Back to Back Ministries started training this content called Trauma Competent Care about eight years ago now. And eventually that grew and formed and shaped itself into a whole other organization called Trauma Free World. Rob Hall is the president. He's a former counselor, therapist, educator, school administrator, back to back staff member, and now the first president of Trauma Free World. And so today we're gonna get to hear his story, but what should we listen for? Chris? Yeah, we're going to listen in this episode a little bit differently than maybe we've encouraged you to listen in the past. We're going to listen for a theme, and the theme is really relationship. And I'm going to ask you to listen through seasons. So listen for the relationships that really influenced Rob as a child. Listen through some pivotal relationships and some transforming moments that happened in his 20s and in those college years. And then I'm going to ask you to listen for Rob's relationship as a husband and as a father. Um, and then last, I want to add, listen to Rob's relationship with Sammy and I through this conversation, because I think that really stands out as we dialogue with one another. Rob, you are coming to us straight off of a pretty amazing trip, I'm guessing, with um, World Without Orphans in Bulgaria. If you yep. were to talk to a 10-year-old version of yourself and say, hey, I just got back from this trip, what would he say about your life? Well, the 10-year-old version of me had no clue about anything in my life. So I'll just jump deep in, right? My So my dad died when I was nine. Mm. And so the 10-year-old version of me was, I, I really have almost no recollection of the mm. 10-year-old version of me. I don't really have any deep memories at all until like I was in high school. So what I know about trauma now yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. Like yeah. I, I just checked out. But if I imagine the ten year old, I wouldn't even have known where Bulgaria was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, probably the fifty year old me would have struggled with you know where exactly <laughs> is Bulgaria. But yeah, this the, there was there was no plan mm. any time in my life where I would have drawn these dots more than probably. Six months ago, would I have ever thought I'm going to go to Bulgaria and mm-hmm. Trauma Free World's going to sponsor this this conference for World Without Orphans Europe? It it's not it was not a plan. And that's pretty typical of of kind of my life. I don't know that I've ever purposefully, maybe once or twice purposely tried to connect dots and had a plan. Is that the way you're wired? You think like from a you enjoy the adventure and the nuance and if it is over planned, it isn't as attractive to you that's yes probably so and that's true like with christine and i in our marriage mm. right we make plans far in advance and then we regret that we made them yes. you know we're like oh <laughs> right um but certainly in my professional life in my spiritual life 
I don't, I don't know that I've really held tightly to much of a plan. It's just kind of been like moving from felt like at least moving from one open door to the next, you know, there's, there's people who, and I know plenty of them, who will be like, I'm not going to move until God opens a door and they pray. And, and I kind of envy that. And I've never been that way. It's been kind of like, I'm just kind of always moving. And then there's like, Oh, there's a, I'll go try that door. It has never felt like a, a well thought out plan as much as just a taking whatever the next step is mm. in front of me. So what was high school Rob moving toward? <laughs> well, nothing that I would like to say on the show <laughs> is what I was moving towards. You know, I, didn't, I didn't really become a follower of Jesus until my early twenties. So high school Rob, I played sports, I, I, you know, so that was probably first and foremost in my mind. My life kind of revolved around those seasons um, you know, any red blooded, blooded young man, I was driven by girls and girlfriends and, but I didn't, again, in a non-redeemed way, I was just moving from one thing to the next mm -hmm. without a plan at all. Um, kind of a funny story. I went to the university of Cincinnati out of high school and I had never visited there before my first day. Oh, wow. I just knew it was as far away as I could get from Cleveland where I grew up and mm. stay in state for tuition. And I had a handful of friends who were going there. So I applied, they accepted me. The first day I ever showed up was the first day I'd ever been on campus. So that's kind of indicative of my expert planning skills. Like, where's your life going? It was just like, that's where it's going next. I guess. What'd you study? Uh, well, I was pre-business cause what, what else do you do? So mm -hmm. that's a whole nother, probably a whole nother podcast of my, several undergraduate visits in different universities before I kind of latched on mm -hmm. again. I, I, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 21 and that really began like a plan in my life where I felt like I was following something, mm -hmm. doing something of purpose. Everything before then was just a series of events, not mm -hmm. really a plan. And mm -hmm. I was enjoying those events. And so college was not something really to be studied as much as it was <laughs> to be enjoyed. Can you talk a little bit about that? You've mentioned that a couple of times that the the moment of beginning to follow Jesus mm -hmm. is a really seminal moment in your life of creating some trajectory. What is it about that term of following Jesus that brought that sense of either identity or direction? Yeah. I was um, introduced to Jesus in high school following girlfriends because mm -hmm. they went to young life and they invited me to go. Right. And so that seemed like a great next event, right? Like, Oh, cool. And so, uh, I remember standing up in, in young life. They have this thing. Like when you go to a weekend camp where they have a say, so you stand up and you say so. And so I stood up and I say, and I said, so, and that, that was probably the beginning of following Jesus, depending on your theological framework, sure. I suppose, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it didn't last right. I, I, you know, few months and, and whatever. And then when I was in college, uh, and 21, one of those girls who had really been committed to Jesus and committed to me, um, she was killed in a car wreck mm. and it was actually at her funeral that I sensed for the first time that Jesus might be trying to tell me something, you mm -hmm. know, or said something to me as people might say. And it was really kind of along the lines of, Hey man, you need to get your life together. Hmm. Right. And, uh, way too long for a discussion here, but I had met some people 
providentially before that funeral who then were at the funeral and um they were plugged into young life here in eastern cincinnati they took me under their wing and and that combination of things being surrounded by a community of people who were really passionate about something and my desire to have meaning in my life beyond just a series of events those things sort of collided and uh and it it just became pursuing the kingdom just mm. became what I wanted to be about. Mm. Which ultimately moved you into being a Young Life leader. Yep. And the director of Back to Back, Todd Guckenberger, <laughs> yes. credits you with being the one who introduced him to Jesus. Yes. When did that jump happen from, I'm going to be a follower, I'm going to be involved kind of in this Young Life thing, to I'm actually going to lead other people as well? Yeah. Interestingly enough, it was immediate. So the people mm. that I had met at Trini's funeral, we're leading Young Life here in Eastern Cincinnati. Um, one of those guys uh, is a, still a friend of mine after all these years. His name is Izzy Rizma. And um, he he basically said, I'm leading Young Life at Madeira and you're going to lead it with me. <laughs> so why they let me do that, I have zero idea. Like <laughs> I had been really a committed follower of Jesus for a couple of months and now I'm on a high school campus mm. helping lead Young Life. But Izzy knew exactly what he was doing. You know, um, if, if we were to lay out a map of quote unquote, what discipleship is supposed to look like, he, you know, he would, I would watch him and then he would, he would let me, and then he would watch me and then he would let me do my thing. And so, um, he was very methodical about that hmm. without me even knowing it. I wasn't smart enough to know it. So hmm. I just, I just equated being a follower of Jesus with actually like helping other people. It, it, I didn't have a, like a grace period. It was just mm. throw you in and, and we'll figure out how to do it. So it, it was a couple of months and I was helping Izzy lead young life at Madeira. And that's where Todd and his brother, John were little freshman kids in high school. And, and uh, I, I will say even now, I was just the luckiest lucky person to be in the right place. They were ripe to follow Jesus. They were engaged in young life. And, and I just happened to be the guy who was there to say, this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. So it was nothing magical for me. That's for sure. And uh, so, yeah, I met, met Todd and John when they were 14. Now they're old. <laughs> they are old. I hear a lot in this, uh, in, in your description so far around, more on what I know I don't want that then, you know, to create space to wait on what I do want. And, and that's the, like, I, I know I don't want to be in Cleveland. I know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I know I do want to stay hey, in the I state love of Cleveland, Ohio. Man. Cleveland's a great <laughs> right. place. I don't want to down Cleveland. I still love I it, you. but um, yes. Yeah. I don't, but I, at like, that I know, point in life, right. I did not want to be in Cleveland. there's season of like, I, I know nothing has been satisfying and it's not what I have wanted until this point. Has that been part of like your narrative and story and, and what type of adventures has that taken you on? Well, I appreciate you saying that way. Um, I don't often look at my life as an adventure, mm. right? And so I guess it has been um, because it hasn't been well scripted. So <laughs> I guess that makes it somewhat adventurous, right? There's only been a couple of times when I was like, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So one of those times was um, after failing in college several times and being asked by people not to return, you know, that kind of thing. Um <laughs> I found out that, hey, I really like kids 
and I like Young Life, and I, and I was a youth director for a little while, and said, but what I really like is one-on-one -on -one conversation. I like having deep conversation, and so that's when I said I'm going to be a ther. I'd like to be a counselor. I'd like mm -hmm. to be a therapist. So that was a kind of a defining moment, mm -hmm. and it sort of set my life on a trajectory. Mm -hmm. But the only through line since then has been I've been about kids. That's it, mm -hmm. and that led to mm -hmm. the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but. It was only that one time, I think, really in my professional life where I had a plan. Everything else has been what door opens next. And uh, I like it that way. It drives some people crazy, but but I've liked it that way. And and you, I guess the encouragement to anybody who's listening is you can do it that way, mm, yeah. right? There's this, I think there's an underlying thread a lot of times, like you have to wait until you discern what your calling is about a particular thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that causes people to, um, to feel paralyzed. Like I got to do, got to do the right thing. Right. And, and I just was never like that. It was just, I have this kind of parameter. It's yeah. about kids and just run after it. And that's what I think the Lord is sort of allowed or called me into as compared to a particular role or a particular thing. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the calling was something to do with kids and yeah. the expressions of that have looked different throughout yeah, your 100%, life. 100%, 100%. So it was a defining moment when you decided to become a therapist. Yep. And then I know there was an, at least one other defining moment in the year, was it 2000? Mm -hmm. When you took a trip with mm -hmm. your wife and kids. And so before that, you went from therapist to educator to <laughs> right. administration, right, right, which is a whole series of adventures. Yes. But what happened in 2000? So uh, I had started working at a Christian school. That's a whole nother story, how <laughs> I got there, another part of the adventure. But part of that was the school was taking short-term mission trips with back-to-back. -back. And in 2000, was I was the administrator of that school. And so we went on this trip. And so that was the that was the spring of 2000. It was my first international experience, first experience really with vulnerable kids. And it just kind of blew my mind. And I came back and I told Christine, we're going this summer. And uh, so hear me clearly, listener people, do not take young children on a short-term <laughs> mission trip. But we didn't know that. So <laughs> How old were your kids at Charlie the time? Charlie was six. Gracie was three. Ooh. Not a... not. You know, back to back wasn't smart enough to, yet to tell us not to do that. You know, so we were just they were winging it. We were winging it. But it changed mm. the entire trajectory of our family in engaging in international work, seeing what life was like outside of our little bubble in suburbia, mm. seeing that vulnerable kids and the people who care for them are real people. They're just mm. not a statistic or a grouping of people that you, you got to know their name. You got to hear their stories. Mm. We got to engage in those stories. And so now, what is it, 23 years later, engaging in that way is part of my kid's life. Helping other people is just part of being a believer. And in our family's life, we don't know any different. And it wasn't because we entered into it in some, like, well, it says you should do this thing. We just experienced it, and it changed the way that our family saw the world and interacted with the world, the way we talked to one another. Hmm. It just changed the trajectory of everything about our family's life. What did that first trip spark, and then, and and how did it shift to you then being, you know, the a guide for Trauma Free World from a trip in two thousand? I think again, for at least for me, 
it, it, there was no plan. There was no like, no, hey, guess right. what? You should you should do this and then you should do that. I have a buddy who has planned out every step of his professional life and he's turned it's turned out great mm. and he's a follower of Jesus amazing my life has just never been that yeah, it's just been sort of felt free to me and in the end it ended up here right leading trauma free world is an amalgamation of all of the things that I've experienced education mission helping kids um, being a therapist They've all kind of just ended up here. Yeah. And God God is in the business of redeeming all of those experiences and maybe redeeming is too strong a word of of knitting those together in a continued purpose. Right. And so again, if I think about about the folks who might be listening to this, is he's in the business of doing that, right? All the yeah. stuff that you've experienced, good, bad, indifferent. He's in the business of weaving those together for whatever the next thing is in your adventure with him. And, and so look forward to what that might be. I never could have imagined yeah. that I would be doing this in a million years. So I'm thinking about the way that you have said a couple of times, like, uh, I just kind of move from thing to thing that opens mm -hmm. up in front of me. And for some people, that'd be really scary. Mm-hmm. What do you fall back on or where do you find like the strength and security to operate that way? Yeah. Like, what do you tell yourself? What do you return to? Yeah. Well, let's make it clear. It is scary, hmm. right? It would be a lot easier to just say, I'm not going to do anything until I'm clear about the next thing. And I think I even said earlier, I'm kind of jealous of those people who can kind of line it up that way because that's scary maybe in a different way. But hmm. so let's make no mistake. I, I would, if we had a, if we had another hour, I would tell you how scary it is right this moment mm -hmm. in leading trauma free world. There's just lots of things that are so open-ended. I, I have no idea about, and it, and it is scary. Is it okay if I tell a story Absolutely. that I go back to? Yeah. So my daughter's name is Grace and she has that name on a per, on purpose. And the reason that she has that name is, is after our first child was born, Charlie, we were told never to have kids again. So, my wife's gynecologist basically said, you're RH sensitized. People will know what that means. If don't just Google it, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and as a result, literally the day after Charlie was born, the doctor comes in great bedside manner and says, you should never have children again. Wow. Right? Like, oh, golly. Okay. Lovely. So we, we mourned and grieved and thought about that. And it was a couple years later. They're three years apart couple years later we kind of looked at each other and said we want to we want to try to have more kids i mean and we did all those things like we're good parents and why would you know we kind of bargained all that kind of stuff but there was a moment and i can remember it vividly we were sitting on the floor together in our first little house and we looked at each other and we said we trust jesus no matter the outcome so if we get pregnant and it doesn't work out because you have, you have RH sensitization or whatever it's called. We will trust Jesus anyway. We just trust that Jesus wants us to try to do this. And that was really one of the, again, one of those moments, long story short, obviously we have a beautiful daughter. She's amazing, right? Her birth was miraculous. Even our non-believing doctor was like, this does not make any sense to me. And we called her grace for that, for that reason. Mm. There are experiences along the way. If you choose to look at them, that will 
build your faith for the fear that you experience in everyday life. Mm. Uh, they're, they're like paychecks and, you know, raising kids and facing disease. And we were talking before we got on the air about our, our growing old parents and mm -hmm. all of those things. Life is full of reasons to be afraid and we can choose to focus on those things, or we can choose to focus on the, the moments when Jesus said, Hey, I, I've got this right for us. It was a rather dramatic moment yeah. when we said, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. We will trust Jesus no matter the outcome here. But I think all of us have those moments, whether they're that dramatic or not, where we decide to step deeper into faith or not step deeper into faith. You can't have the outcome of being able to look fear in the face in a huge situation unless you've had a lifetime of looking fear in the face over time. And it's not that it's not scary. I It's just going to work out because mm -hmm. Jesus is going to work it out one right. way or the other. And it's, and the risk is in the lack of guarantee, right? Like it's not the equation that says when you risk or step out on faith with Jesus, it then opens the door to a guarantee of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that it yes. wants to work out. I mean, as you were even telling the story, I'm like, even as a husband, there's so much risk in that of like, I'm, a, I could lose my wife over this. Like you're mm -hmm. like, there's some risk of n not getting pregnant. There's yeah. also some risk of loss. It's we're going to enter this because we believe Jesus is going to take us on the journey. And no matter the outcome, hundred percent, we'll be able to get through whatever, yeah. whatever even, happens. Even if next. I was, even if I, mm. even as I was telling the story, Chris, I'm like, I don't want, like in my mind, I was like, yeah. I don't want people to misunderstand this. Like Jesus is going to take care of it. It's going to be great. Right. It, it, that was, that's not the, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he's going to take care of it. He is, he redeems everything. Yeah. And whether this turns out the way that I want it to, mm -hmm. or I think it should, doesn't matter if if we're going to step faithfully into what he wants us to do he will take care of it whatever that whatever that means has there been a moment when you like walked through what looked like an open door like metaphorically and mm -hmm. then been like oh i don't think this is where i was supposed to go yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah again uh, it, it it seems like uh, I haven't done much since I was in my 20s but I'll I'll think of another story <laughs> from in my 20s. I think I think I hearken back to them mm -hmm. because in the development of my faith they were so foundational mm. that that they stick out to me. Mm -hmm. mm. But um I had made a plan, right? I was going to be a counselor. I, I you know, I I needed to finish my bachelor's degree, went back to college and I needed, I knew I needed a master's degree. So I, I had a plan. I laid out what it was. I knew where I was going to go to school. I'd actually already begun class there. And, um, after about the first week they called me in, the Dean called me in and said, we're not going to accept you into the program. And I, and I was certain like a hundred percent certain this is where like Jesus had put the dots together. This mm -hmm. was where I was supposed to be. And it was just like a punch in the nose. It is the greatest thing that ever happened to me that I, that, that I didn't go to school there. Hmm. I actually ended up going somewhere else and it, it just, it, it was so much better for me. And again, even talking out loud about it now, right. Probably part of my hesitancy in thinking that I've got to mark out a plan is that was a, a foundational example of like, Hey man, nice idea, <laughs> but I got a totally different idea mm -hmm. for you. And this is going to be really embarrassing and painful for you and over the next week or two, but this is so much better. And so 
so yeah, I mean, I thought for sure that I had walked where I was supposed to walk and, and the Lord just kind of gently said, no, you should, it wasn't a change of the whole thing. I still went and got my master's degree, still had a, you know, still became a counselor, but it was just like, not this way. Let's do it that way. So, so that's early on. And there are plenty of, plenty of stories of when, when I thought I was following a particular direction and gently or not so gently, there was the correction. That's led you into a, a place where very interestingly, like words like counseling or therapy, those things are really tied to leading an organization like trauma free world. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought about these words this way until I'm saying them, you know, over this microphone to a world that is processing the three words trauma free world those are really strong <laughs> yeah we've powerful we've had, we've had that comment a few times wor words that say that seems like um a really powerful thing that we're trying to attack right like mm -hmm. that there's a there's a thing there you've mentioned it a little bit in your own narrative already what is the significant impact that trauma makes in our lives and why why do we need to address it on such a level that we would say we need to rid the world of this. Well, I would think on two levels. One is just our own individual life. And then there's the global mm. narrative of trauma, right? A billion children in the world experience trauma, you know, um, in any given year, half of the children on the planet are experiencing trauma in any given year. The, the ramifications of that in terms of development and, and education and addiction and all of the social ills that mm -hmm. we collectively are going after. And we should underneath some, almost all of them, honestly, is this idea of trauma, right? So on a global sense, it, that it's, it's something, some, we got to do, somebody has got to do something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and there are plenty of people trying to do it and we want to, we want to join that fray on an, on an individual level to, to think of being trauma free, for example, a trauma free world, just as an individual person, mm -hmm. right. Is an understanding of the effects that trauma can have on my relationships, uh, the way it can affect the way that I make decisions, the way that I plan for things, the way I raise my kids, all of those kind of things. And so while trauma free world can be an inspirational or aspirational thing for a global pandemic, for lack of a better word a billion children it can also be an individual call that says i want my life to be free of the effects of trauma so that i can live a more free life mm -hmm. a more connected life a life that is more about being healthy and connected to a world that is free from what trauma would try to steal from me mm. so with that huge mission in mind <laughs> yeah and being the president of an organization who that is the call, that is the heartbeat, that is the desire. What is it that keeps you up at night? I think what keeps me up at night are two things. One is failing, hmm. right? There, There is such a need that I just don't want to fail at this, right? It, it, it feels and is bigger. Um, it does feel like this is a connection of dots. I didn't connect them, but I've ended up here and... So it's this kind of give and take, like, I don't want to, I don't own the pressure of, of making it work, but at the same time, I own the pressure of making it work. Mm -hmm. 
Does that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that makes any mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. So that that keeps me that keeps me up at night. Like, how do I make sure that trauma free world survives next year mm-hmm. and that we're delivering the kinds of things that will be helpful to people? The other thing that keeps me up is at night are things like when I was just in Bulgaria and you meet people who have committed their lives in a much deeper way than me for caring for kids, right? They've adopted kids and fostered kids and they, you know, they're struggling in right now in, in with refugees from Ukraine because in the war and they've invited strangers into their home and you get a chance to sit and you hear their story usually in broken English because they're better than Americans. They've actually, they're actually bilingual or trilingual. And I'm just like, I don't know anything about your language. And those are the things that keep me up at night. Sometimes it's the sweetness of those conversations. Mm. And I just linger in Mm. them and I, and I linger in kind of how sweet they are. And then other nights it's like, man, uh, that is, it's just overwhelming. Like I was a therapist and I, and and my specialty was working with kids who had experienced sexual abuse and incest. That's what, mm. that's a heavy thing mm-hmm. that would, <laughs> but I would go home at night, right? The folks like the folks that I talked about, talked with in Bulgaria, it is at home with them at night, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is their life. And in a, in a hopefully a healthy way, what keeps me awake at night is some level of responsibility to figure out a way to encourage and strengthen and empower them to be even better at what they do so that kids heal and so that they don't give up. Hmm. And, and when I, and I wail, I lay awake at night a lot, not just cause I don't sleep well, but those are the things that cross my mind is, you know, Stan Malier, who I met, who's a Bulgarian pastor, right? Just unbelievable story. And, so I've been home a couple of weeks and I actually rewind in my mind, the conversations that we had together and, and think I, I have to deliver for mm. a guy like that, right? Two women from Egypt who were at the conference at, by invitation, hearing their story, we have to deliver for people like that, not out of some duty, but to keep them in the game. They're doing, they're doing amazing work. And, and so I feel compelled to, to try to do what I can to, to strengthen them. Does that response of how, what keeps you up at night, you know, compels you to then deliver. Mm-hmm. My question is that feels in tension, like in a little bit of tension with the natural spirit that you've shared in this conversation of like, I want to go what's natural next. And I, I want a little bit of that freedom. Mm-hmm. This feels like maybe one of those things that it's like, and for the first time, this is one of those things I can't leave um, because there's pressure. And and does mm-hmm. that, does that weigh on you at all? Or is there, is there that hope of like, because there are unopened doors next, the adventurous element of that is intriguing enough to keep you satisfied. Yeah. Ironically, ironically, Chris, I don't feel any pressure to do this forever. Mm, great. So that's the weird thing, yeah. right? I feel compelled to do it. Yeah. But I was actually talking on the on the trip back with some people who went with me. And we talk about it regularly, even in our staff meetings at Trauma Free World or whatever. We we don't care who gets the credit. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't say that out of some false humility or right. whatever. This is way too big a thing for me, 
for ego to get in the way. And no one on our team carries. That's what I love about our team of people. No mm-hmm. one, no one cares about credit. I would quit tomorrow. If someone better equipped than me showed up to do this, I would gladly quit tomorrow. And I would just figure out what Jesus has next for me. I would just yeah. take that as a sign as, Hey, your work here is done yeah. and now there's something else to do. So it's this weird sort of dichotomy of feeling compelled to do this, you know, keeping me awake at night and the freedom to say, I'd quit tomorrow if someone was better at me than better at this than me. And just, this is what I'm supposed to do right now. That's great. So you said at one point you love one-on-one deep conversations. Yeah. So like this. Mm-hmm. So let's say you were sitting across the table from someone who was thinking about like a mid-career move, wants to step into something that they think is maybe what they're supposed to do, but it's not on any plan they wrote for themselves. And they're asking you like, what should I do? Is that right? Is mm-hmm. What do you say? First thing I would probably say is to make sure you're not running away from something, but towards something, mm. right? So people who are looking for what's next, a lot of times that comes out of a, a place of like, I don't like what I have now and I just do anything to get out of it. Mm. That's probably not the greatest motivation to, mm-hmm. to do what it is that you're going to do. So that, that would be first, let's talk about why it is that you're wanting to do this thing. Make sure you're moving towards something, not away from something. And if, if they felt that that was the case, I think then is just to surround yourself with people who will help you do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, when I was a therapist, uh, and even when I would do some coaching and things like that, you know, people have a, have a board of directors in their head, whether they're aware of it or not, right? The voices in their head are people either that are trustworthy people and they kind of, and then there are some people who are not so trustworthy that have taken up residency in their head is to, is to actually think about that and say, what, what voices do I want? Either the ones in my head or the ones literally in a table around me, find those people who will tell you the truth, who will encourage you, who will do all of those things and they'll help you navigate Failure almost always happens when we do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So run towards something, surround yourself with people who will encourage and are running towards the same things. Well, speaking of people who are in it with you, mm-hmm. um, I reached out Uh-oh. to <laughs> <Uh-oh. Okay. laughs> to Todd Guckenberger. Okay. Because we, we like to end the show by thanking our guests. And especially if they have a connection, we want to hear from people they've impacted. Mm. Oh boy. So this is what Todd had to say about you. I've known Rob now for more than 30 years. At Back to Back and Trauma Free World, we talk a lot about a concept. I'm in if you're in. Essentially, there are people who encourage you to stay in the fight. Rob has been one of these people for me for so many years. I'm grateful for his faithfulness 35 years ago to share the gospel with me and then invest in my life in discipleship. Now serving and working together for many years, Rob is an excellent leader and industry expert. His commitment to excellence and toward the impact on the vulnerable is not easily matched. He's a disruptor and committed to doing this work exceptionally well. Rob, you are one of a kind. And I want to say thank you for staying up at night Mm -hmm. and thinking about the Mm -hmm. people who need training and equipping and support and to know they're not alone. Thank you for being willing to go into a field of hard conversations 
and on behalf of the clients who sat across from you and have never gotten to say thank you for the healing they've experienced, we want to say thank you. Mm-hmm. On behalf of the parents of students who were um, in the schools you were a part of, on behalf of the pastor in Bulgaria who mm-hmm. feels like he heard something that can actually bring hope to a situation that feels helpless, we want to say thank you. On behalf of the thousands of people who are going to hear a trauma-free world training because you've worked hard to make it feasible and tangible and equitable and in their hands, we want to say thank you because they may never get to. So thank you for the work you do and the ways you've continued to step through doors even when it's scary. Sammy, the way in which you frame that thank you with Rob has to be intentionally like purposeful for you and I because both Todd and Rob are part of our own story mm-hmm. yet as we watched Rob's face in that I could see with him the moment of reliving this journey of like how do I get here mm-hmm. where someone that I led to Christ in young life is the one who's overseeing this organization that's yeah. empowered me to do what I love and is thanking me for who I am to him. like this really interesting fun circle have you ever had that season of life where you're like how did i get here i mean i've definitely had moments where i'm like this is not where i ever thought i would end up Mm. like i how did i get here how i mean one time i had that moment when i was driving a honda civic full of 45 chickens down the highway in mexico it's a little bit less like spiritual full circle but definitely have had those moments where i'm like how did I get here and how is this my life? And But what I love is the moments when like it's almost like God kind of pulls back the curtain and is like, hey, I was weaving all this together. Like, look at how this all links. And then we don't get that all the time. No. Definitely don't get that all the time. But I love those moments when we do. And I love that that's the way God works. Yeah. Yeah. I can resonate. Like we, we just through back to back Cincinnati purchased a property that's maybe four miles from where I went to college. Mm. And I left that university thinking that I was going out into a place to go do ministry or do something else. And the fact that there's this full circle that I'm like, I'm how am I back here? I hadn't, it was never part of the plan. And n- there was no intentionality to that at all. But it's this kind of surprising, huh, this is fun. Well, we kept coming back to that theme with Rob that he doesn't really like, live by like a one, two, ten, right. five year plan. Right. Are you what's your personality? Are you one who typically like has more of a plan set out that you're following and like work the plan? Or are you mm. more of a personality similar to Rob that whatever opportunity you feel like God places in front of you, you just move into? Yeah, as you asked that, the word that came to my mind was like, I live by a purpose. Hmm. not by a plan. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't align with the purpose that I believe I'm supposed to live for, I'm out. Um, if it aligns with that purpose, I have no problem building plans and then sticking to those timelines around that in order to like stay in rhythm with that purpose. So I think that's probably my answer is mm-hmm. I've lived with a purpose. I think that's become more of a thing as I have aged. If you asked second grade me, I already had a plan. Mm. I was going to go to Cincinnati Bible College and Seminary. You knew that in second grade? Yes. Get a degree in preaching. I didn't apply to any other college. Um, 
I was going to live that plan out and you could not deter me from what that strategy was going to be. I had a plan from second grade on if the NFL didn't work out, which the NFL didn't work out. (laughs) How about you? Well, I think that's interesting. I would say that as I've gotten older also, I think I've become more comfortable with not having a plan. Mm. Maybe that's and God proving his faithfulness over time. Maybe that's a lot of moments where like what I thought was the plan didn't work out. And then I realized, oh, his plan's better. So just more like rest in that or like release of control. I mean, I always used to say in college, I went to school for early childhood education and I had a great plan to be a cute teacher in a cute house and a cute street and live a cute life mm. that married to a cute man. And it was all gonna fit cleanly within like, you know, two to three years after graduation. And that isn't how anything turned out. Um, and and I'm really glad it didn't. Like the right. life I've gotten to live and the places God has taken me have not been what I've expected. And I think that's what we we're hearing with Rob. Like he had these moments where he thought things were going one way and they went a different and something else opened up. And now he's kind of at that moment where God's saying, look at all these pieces I put into place and here we are. Yeah, and I also heard from him that his personal purpose wasn't tied to the plan at any time. So mm-hmm. that gave him the ability to adapt. And maybe that's something that we're we're hitting on between us is that as we've aged, we've figured out ways to deal with some of the experiences or traumatic experiences that have happened in our past so that a moment or a plan either happening or not happening doesn't define our identity and that's what Mm -hmm. i heard is the strongest piece of rob's story from his childhood and losing a father to experiences in college is that trauma can be part of our narrative and it doesn't have to define the strategy and the plan that we have for our own lives Mm -hmm. and i think it was really cool to me i didn't know all of rob's story even though having worked with him for years and so getting to see that thread that god was weaving even of trauma to then bring him to a point of becoming a counselor, becoming a healing place for people before he even stepped foot into trauma-free world. And now with this much, much bigger and amplified mission of trauma training for everybody everywhere in their first language and all the things that that entails, I still love that it also comes back to something personal, like that it is this call and this purpose, but there's also personal meaning behind it. Yeah, I love how he ended in in a lot of his thought process with us to coming to that conclusion that this is now the season that is actually worth leveraging everything for him. Mm-hmm. And what, what that said to me was uh, some of us can get that opportunity at 16 or 17 and be willing to leverage everything and say, I'm going all in. This is the plan that for my life and I'm going to stick to it. Some of us get in our 20s or our 30s, and then some of us can be in that season where our children are out of the home and mm-hmm. we're starting to figure out a different season of life. But when he really addressed that, of like, it, I, he believes he could be removed at any point, but this mission is worth like leveraging everything for. Those things can enter into our life at any season, mm-hmm. and I love that. I love the freedom of that. Yeah. If you are listening to this and you're thinking that huge mission of trauma training for everyone everywhere, what are they talking about? And could I be one of those people? We actually have a gift for you. And in the show notes today, there is a promo code for some access to training on trauma-free world 
website. That's a gift from Rob as our guest. And so we want to say, check it out. If you have not experienced training in the impact of trauma, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is I was surprised at how much this related to not only my life, but the lives of people I know and love that I I wouldn't even expect it changes the way that I see everyone. Yeah, I think it's a great way to close with reminding ourselves to see our story in seasons mm -hmm. and to celebrate the seasons that we've been through, to see our stories in seasons and recognize that traumatic experience can impact us and there are ways through that. And that's why we would say yes to this code and this access to content for yourself and for others. And then to see your life as a story where there's another season coming. And no matter what that is, there's an adventure awaiting in front. So we can't wait until we have this next adventure with you. And the next time we talk to you, Sammy's going to start the show with a different name. <laughs> and we'll see you on that episode.